0: In the Race podcast is brought to you by MiataFix, Jayzilla Track Days, Koenig Wheels, Four Wheel Parts, and one that we're going to get to learn a lot about today, and that's Valkyrie Engineering. Yep. Kevin? Cheers. 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 Awesome. Excellent. Yeah, so that is. Uh, cracking some fresh ones here at National Corvette Museum Motorsports Park. So and in, in-the-race podcast likes to travel around on occasion, but everything we do, we always do in person. And uh, this is no exception, so we found a midpoint for our guests uh, today, uh, somewhere in the middle of the country that would be reasonable drives for both of us. Uh, I'm doubling this up to be an excuse to drive the miata um but i am so incredibly excited to have um two representatives of valkyrie engineering the whole of valkyrie engineering here um and it's such a cool story because this is where we met um but before i go too much into that uh R- rafael shahab welcome on the podcast
1: thanks kevin thanks for having us yeah thank you yeah.
0: <clears throat> so um, yeah uh I will give just my brief spiel. Uh, Valkyrie Engineering makes some incredible uh, machined parts uh, primarily, but uh, I know your capabilities expand beyond that. And what I've used personally is an awesome uh, lightweight battery solution that mounts in the back of my Miata. And I know you guys were excited about my BMW when you saw it, but I was nervous because (laughs) if you've ever owned a BMW, you know the newer they get. The dumber they get with electronics and they everything is based on it. Uh, in fact, I have this thought that um, all the complaints about Land Rovers and everything could probably be solved if people just like kept their batteries fully charged. Because I think if the battery level gets low, all the electronics go haywire. And then you start chasing all these problems that aren't the source of the problem. Sure. Um, so I was... Fearful of that kind of thing in my BMW, and it's probably just because I don't know, and you guys know better than me, I'm sure. Uh, But all that to say, I I really enjoyed getting my hands on your products, collaborating. We've been collaborating a lot on product design and stuff in general, and I'll let you kind of steer that conversation. Um, But what I really want to do is I want to get an opportunity for our listeners to get to know the origin story of Valkyrie Engineering, and deeper than that, a little bit about each of you guys and how. You know, you got the itch to do stuff in the automotive world in general and, and start a business and all of that. So wherever you want to jump off.
1: <clears throat> well, Shahab and I met um, over at Vance & Hines. That's actually where I'm still currently employed as my full-time gig. And uh, Shahab has since left and works for CSI, a um, shock company. But uh, he and I, you know, struck a great relationship from from the onset, right? And uh, we worked together for a few years, correct?
2: I think four years before we started Valkyrie.
1: Yeah, pretty much. So in 2019 is when Valkyrie started. Nice. Right. And um, it's one of those things, you know, uh, you go to work every day, working for the man, you know, like, man, you know, we can do this. <laughs> we can branch off and do our own stuff. Yeah. Right. So uh, Shahab is an uh, incredible engineer, designer, you know, uh, recently picked up some CNC machining skills as well. So his stock value has skyrocketed <laughs> exponentially, <laughs> you know, and that's fantastic for us, right? So. um Do you want to start? Yeah, go for it.
2: Um, so I I kind of had the first idea to to start Valkyrie and it actually was what made me want to start. It was uh NA battery mount. Oh, So nice. I had an NA Miata that I bought in 2008 I autocrossed it, did track days, everything like that. And this is when I was 18 years old. And I really didn't have any engineering skills at that time. Um, No one in my family was into racing, anything like that. So I was kind of on my own. And I saw people putting like lawnmower batteries in their Miatas, or like jet ski batteries. And I was like, man, that sounds cool. I should do that. And of course, there was nothing on the market at that time. So I did what anyone else would do and went to Home Depot. I got some straps of metal and (laughs) bent them in a vise and made this, like, god-awful contraption to hold the battery. And I remember, so beyond that, uh, once I went to school, I went to school for engineering, went to IEPUI, got a degree in motorsports engineering. Nice. And went and worked in IndyCar for about three years, then went to Vance & Hines. And when I wanted to start my own thing, that's kind of where I wanted to start it. I wanted to have something that, you know, was available for people to just bolt into their car and they didn't have to go to Home Depot and rig something up like I did. So I kind of used my engineering skills I had acquired up to that point and designed N.A. me out a battery mount. And I knew I needed someone that could help me sell the thing because I'm not, I'm like pretty introverted and uh, that's where f comes in. So,
0: <laughs> well, uh, but real quick, there you glossed over this real quick. IndyCar. Yes. Tell us more.
2: Uh, so I, I started at a place called Panther Racing, at the end of 2011. Um, that was right when the DW12, the new IndyCar, came in, and my professor at the time, his name was Andy Borm. He was a F1 engineer IndyCar car engineer um someone had reached out to him from panther and it's like hey i need two kids to come in here and scan this new car we want to make a cfd model so nice. he, re- he recommended me and one other guy and this was after i had submitted my resume to like every single indie car shop sports car shop indy lights team in indy and it's all about knowing the right people mm. so that's how i got my foot in the door there um Once I graduated, they hired me full-time. And I stayed there until the team shut down because they lost uh, National Guard sponsorship. Oh, okay. So they shut down right before the 2014 season. And uh, it was like two weeks later that I got hired at Vance Hines.
0: Oh, okay. I'm sure they were excited to pull somebody from IndyCar.
2: Yeah. I I was kind of nervous because I had no experience with motorcycles. Uh, But actually got me in the door at Vance and Hines was we had scanned, I had done 3D scanning at Panther. Um, somehow, I think it was Byron, Byron Hines, the co-founder of Vance Hines. He reached out to a guy that I worked with at Panther. I was like, hey, we have a new flat track bike we're working on, we need an engine scanned. So after hours at Panther, I helped this guy scan this engine. <laughs> and two months later, I'm like, hey, you guys hiring? <laughs> I just got laid off and shut the doors. So that's how that worked out. Pretty
1: much. You know, my story is not as exciting as Shahab's. <laughs> um, Background-wise, as far as getting into motorcycles, um, I lived in Florida at the time, out in you know, Clearwater, Tampa Bay area. And uh, just browsing through a newspaper, and I saw an ad for a motorcycle company hiring a uh, marketing manager, and for a company that specializes in making crankshafts. And I was like, hmm, I like motorcycles? Marketing, sure, you know, fake it till you make it. I'm gonna go and apply. Well, the owner at the time, uh, Glenn, who had bought it from Tom Falcon, he had no interest in hiring me. He's like, uh, you know, you don't know anything about uh, engines and stuff like that, and, and he was right. You know, at the time, in my early 20s, I had no idea, I thought, uh, engines and motorcycles operate on ferry dust right? <laughs> and so i'm sitting here looking up you know crankshaft camshafts all that stuff um that's not what i grew up on you know but uh i was determined to get my foot in the door and i was like i love motorcycles i ride i'm gonna get the job so um i pretty much harassed them for a solid two weeks i'd stop by every other day like hey you ready to hire me <laughs> and finally he's like all right just come aboard and uh so i worked for those guys for six years and uh we make uh pro stock crankshafts for uh, Suzuki motorcycles, and Vance and Hines at the time used to be one of our customers, and they eventually decided they want to have their own program, and that's when they said, hey, Rafael, I'd like to bring you aboard, so I flew up to Indy, spent a week with those guys, I showed them what I thought needed to be done to actually run an operation as far as building the crankshaft from start to finish, and uh, then they offered me the position, and that was 11 years ago, nice. so I uh, started off as a crankshaft and engine component manager, then worked my way up the ladder uh, to business development manager, um, operations manager, and that's what I currently do now. So, uh, And we've done everything, Shahab and I, together with flat-track motorcycles, pro-stock motorcycles, anything that's two-wheel-related, we've, we've done together.
0: Nice. Yeah, I, I used to go to a lot more drag racing when I was much younger, and uh, I Vance and Hines is something you see.
1: Everywhere. Yeah,
0: yeah, huge on the side of all the drag bikes and everything like that. Sure. It's, pretty cool I, and i mean i just know they're big in like the harley world right like
1: well it's huge really right popular. so the, yeah. the bread and butter for Vance and hines currently uh, exhaust wise has been harley for, for yeah. a very long time but now we're starting to diversify the portfolio they're getting into off-road stuff they're doing side-by-side exhausts uh going back to the metric side of things as well you know they mm. do uh, things for oem for a time they're doing uh, exhaust for a triumph still doing things for bmw you know but mm. um yeah, it's exciting. Uh, anything that's fast, we'd love to do, and and cars are, are no exception. Yeah, and
0: that's why that's why this Valkyrie Engineering sticker on the side of the Miata. <laughs> exactly, it's it's worth more than five horsepower.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we hope so. <laughs> um,
0: you no, know, that's that's really cool. And and I'm um, back to that story of how we met. It was right here at NCM, and it was a Grid Life event, and uh,
1: April eighteenth, twenty twenty one.
0: Yeah. And and it's it's so weird because twenty twenty one it's like, was that a year ago? Was that two years ago? It, it it's so weird because COVID kinda just shifted dates around and it's all been a blur. Pretty much. But it it's uh yeah, no, it it it's really cool to see the the vibe that you get at a grid life event is cars are there and they're put together by the smartest minds that happen to all be in the paddock. And that's what got me so excited at that event about actually doing gltc is there's a guy over here that designed my my wheel hubs there's a guy over here that works for the company that designed my ecu there's a guy over here that you know just makes these these k-swap cars all the time it's like you have that kind of support and everybody's kind of like like like-minded in that way and i know we'll see it evolve and it'll be for the better but you know it's becoming more of like shop teams and everything. And it's, it's harder to just be a one man effort, but that, that is exactly the energy that's going on at a grid life event. And so, so serendipitous to run into you guys and to start this collaboration, because, you know, I, I, we talk about the, the battery mount that's in my car, you know, that sounds like a one part transaction, but we've been in contact all throughout these two years. And we've, we've been pitching ideas back and forth and it's been really exciting just being i, I kind of feel like i'm shoulder to shoulder with you guys on some of these projects and it's really fun
1: yeah I'm, and we agree and that's the thing too um, without the the feedback that we get from from consumers it, it's hard to have some sort of direction of what is needed out there in the market right so um yourself scott robertson for example you know we work with scott closely and he's a fantastic guy him you know becky and Brian, they have a great team. You know, we, we sponsor those guys as well. Um, working with Kevin, you know, we're looking to obviously diversify our portfolio as well on the product line. And we're excited about that. And that's one of the reasons why we came down here, you know, to meet you and see you again in person.
0: You want to jump into that some more?
1: Why don't you go ahead and lead into it?
0: Okay, so um, uh, the the conversation started out as like, oh, we're interested in your BMW. And I was like, I'm scared of that idea. Um, but I'm trying to build a car for GLTC. at a Miata. And they're like, yeah, we've got Miata's figured out. We understand that. But the Bronco <laughs> started an interesting conversation. And I um, part of the reason that I picked up this 2021 Bronco was for me being able to have one of the first ones, I knew there'd be cool opportunities because it's just one of those cars, the moment you see it, you know this is the next, like, Jeep Wrangler. And I don't mean, like, it fits the same category. I mean, Jeep Wrangler has defined the idea of you buy a car, and that's not the end of the process. No,
1: the customization is endless.
0: Exactly. You know, I I always thought for guns, it's like AR-15s. For trucks, it's Broncos. For you know, there's other categories, but you, you just know that thing that everybody buys and then they throw everything at it to make it their own. And I just, I knew the Bronco would be that way. And I wanted to be on the forefront of it. Cause I, I geek out in the same way. I love the product development stuff. And so you guys latched on to that and, and I love you for it because we're, we're going to make some cool stuff. We've been bouncing around tons of ideas and it'll be really cool to see what sticks and even cooler to see like what actually you know becomes profitable in sales
1: yeah and one of the things that uh, one of the obstacles that we have is that obviously we're probably about a thousand miles away from each other, right and uh, having our schedules aligned is a very difficult task and so being able to come down here today is really exciting for us. Uh, one of our new uh, acquisitions was a 3 d scanner handheld scanner, and the sole purpose of it really is to come here and work on the bronco right
0: I, I really think that like right now, this feels like, you know, fake it till you make it. This feels so much that way because we're in a, <laughs> we're in like a an enclosed building that we have to ourselves that, I don't know if we technically are supposed to be in here. The Broncos sitting here and we're scanning it and we've got like our the podcast set up over here. It, it's surreal because it feels like how you would run this if you were some established brand and then you paid your permit and you paid for the facilities and then you had the people come out and you probably had a press release. Like It feels like all that formality would surround what we're pulling off right now. You left out the uh, Z06. Yeah, I was going to. Yeah, we got a C8 Z06 just kind of watching in while we're playing around. That's awesome. Um, but it, it's. It's so cool what, what's possible these days. I, I still think you got to find that balance, and that's why I'm so big on, you know, we're having this podcast, we're having it in person. I think that's so important. But the fact that, you know, we can exchange 3D CAD files and stuff like that, and we could 3D print or prototype and send to each other and, and test fit things, but that's going to all be super accelerated with the 3D modeling that we can do now with the scanner, which I've been just fascinated watching you starting to scan some of the bronco
2: that's huge and like i said earlier when i started in 2011 2012 like the scanner that i was using at panther is probably like a fifty thousand dollars (laughs) scanner yeah and there's no way that we can afford that we can afford that (laughs) so it's only now that there's kind of uh more consumer grade that are still high quality scanners and honestly what i'm getting out of the scanner we have now is just as good as what the scanner was. I was using, that was $50,000, which is crazy to think about. Um, but just having that ability to scan something and put the actual part in a 3D model is huge because otherwise you're just sitting there, tape measure, calipers, like...
1: Well, that's one of the things, and things too.
2: sketching something, trying to make sure that what you end up with actually fits and... That's the most difficult part of it.
1: Well, that was the obstacle that we had when we sent you those first few prototypes yep. for the Bronco, trying to figure out the, the alignment of the bolt holes, making sure that everything is correct and distances. And, and you know, we had to send it back again, and you come back with some feedback. Yep. So we we're struggling there, but now that we have this capability. Now we're closing that loop. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: No, that's that's huge. It, it's so much harder than you'd think. Like, I, anyone who's never done any kind of product development, never kind of, you know, gone down the engineering path, it's like, what you just measure it, and you're done. It's like, okay, but let's really break that down and how are you going to measure it and how accurate is it actually going to be because that matters in such a huge way. Mm -hmm. Like I I created a little, uh, I I took my back seats out to make a little more space in the Bronco and there's some studs sticking up so I 3D printed a little piece that just kind of smooths it out. And it, took, it was like the fourth iteration before it actually fit over the bolt <laughs> because my my dimensions were accurate, but then the 3D printer like squishes a little bit. So it was a little tighter than the dimension that I actually printed. So there's all this like back and forth. And I'm sure it's similar in, in machining and everything else too.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yep. You know, i like to say real quick here something about Shahab. <clears throat> you know, back at uh, Vance & Hines, if you're familiar with the XG750R, okay? the flat track motorcycle that uh, Harley had commissioned Vance and Heinz to build, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a water-cooled motor that they said, hey, we got to have a bike that's competitive, is going to replace the the XR, which was air-cooled. And this thing is a turd out of the box, right? (laughs) Um, Shahab is responsible for the sole development of the entire engine platform. If you look at this motorcycle from start to finish, all the internals, all the componentry, that's all his design. So that in conjunction with 3D Scanner and everything else, I mean, it's a home run, right? So we have like a full arsenal sitting here next right? to so us and one guy. <laughs> I and can I tell he's
0: it, too humble to give these stories. So no, I'm but that's, I think that's what out.
1: separates Valkyrie from, from other companies that are out there. You know, we're not only, um, you know, I, I'm the business guy, right? Shahab is the brains of the design engineering everything else. But um, I, I feel that uh, that and also the fact that we're involved in motorsports as our occupation, you know, day to day, but then also, you know, he still races cars. I I do tractors on motorcycles. It's, it's a full gamut of all these things come together. And I think that adds credibility to our capabilities.
0: Absolutely. Um, now talk a little bit about, uh, I'm curious to hear your perspectives on a two person company.
1: I, I'm three, three person. Oh, three person. Sorry. Yeah. So Frank Nelson, he's our brand manager. he's out in California also, ex-Vanthine Hines employee. Nice. Yeah. So, um, and he's he's a genius at what he does. You know. If, uh,
0: I feel bad that we couldn't have all three of you guys on here.
1: But yeah, we wanted to, but it's kind of hard with. Uh, it's tough. You know why? Uh, but uh, he's here in spirit.
0: Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But but let, let, let's talk about that because I've talked to a lot of people who really just started something on their own, and there's so many struggles there that really I think hold them back, and and it, it's rare that you've got someone that's truly excellent at something, but also can be really good at the business side and the other things or someone who's really excellent at business, but doesn't have that deep level of expertise in in something. And that they just kind of like make it work and there's those success stories. And usually they're, you know, as humans, it's simple to just say like, Oh, one person's responsible. And when in reality that's never the case, And I, I do feel like a couple of people that can compliment each other, a handful of people that compliment each other is just such a strong, um, you know, force. And so I'm curious to hear from, from you guys on that.
1: I mean, uh, it's basically uh, we complement each other, right? And, but I think first and foremost, you have to get along with the people that you want to work with, right? You don't want to just get in bed with anybody. Um, if he and I didn't get along on a day-to-day basis, we wouldn't go anywhere, right? Because you have that sort of animosity and you, you can't move forward if you guys aren't like-minded and have the same vision and you're willing to go in the same direction, right? One team, one direction. And that's Mm -hmm. the way we operate because at the end of the day, we want to make cool stuff, right? Um, Making money is not even the goal, honestly. It's something that we enjoy doing, right? So we will spend hours and I mean, we've gone, we've had meetings, you know, with Frank and stuff and we're up till, you know, midnight, our time, you know, from starting at eight o'clock at night, just talking, going over the plan. What are we going to do tomorrow? What are we going to do, you know, business-wise here? What do we need to do, you know, financially and so on? It's, it's a full gamut of things that, you know, we really work collaboratively, I uh, can't even say it, <laughs> <laughs> collaboration with one another, right?
2: Come on, man, you're the talking guy. <laughs>
1: it's, uh, it's the IPA with pineapple.
2: <laughs> <laughs> what, what about from you, job Yeah, I mean, we, we worked together, you know, for a couple of years before Valkyrie was even a thing. So we kind of knew each other's skill set. And like I said, you know, if there's, if someone needs to talk with a customer or anything like that, I'm like, hey, Raphael, can, can you handle this? You know, like <laughs> I'd much rather be drawing something in CAD or doing something engineering related. So that's kind of, and just like marketing, like with Frank, and he does a lot of graphic design, things like that, stuff that I, you know, have no clue about. And we all three kind of, Compliment each other. Yeah, that's really the best way to say it. Yeah.
0: No, I, I love that. I, I've got so many friends that are creative and they're super talented, but they just hit the ceiling. It's like they can't go very far because yeah, their stuff's great, but it doesn't sell itself, you know, and, and they they can't handle the amount of work they're going in and then they're like, Oh well, you know, I I can do a couple of these a week and then I'm kinda burnt out, so I gotta spread it out and it's like they just it never becomes available for the masses, you know? So it's really cool to see, you know, your expertise, and then you can be super efficient as a business to like extract that and productize that and then spread that value. I think that's really cool.
1: Yeah. And we're trying to obviously evolve, right? That's the the main goal. Having one product line, it's not going to get you anywhere. And so we're diversifying into motorcycles recently we just released a bracket for a rear set for the Yamaha R7. That is beautiful, by it's the a way. gorgeous piece. Yeah. You know, Shahab designed that again, right? And uh, the Bronco stuff, obviously. So we'd like to have, ideally, three different segments where we have you know, the automotive, off-road, and motorcycles. And I think that's where the direction that we're headed. And it's organic, right? Um, trying to find the right product that financially, from a costing standpoint, makes sense for you to make, for you to sell, is the price point correctly, is there a demand for it that's critical, right? Yeah. So there are a lot of things that, for example, I'm a napkin engineer, you know, like I'll draw something up say, hey, Shahab, I really like this. Can we make something? And then he goes back there, and then, you know, two weeks later, he comes back with something that's out of this world, like the, the mount for my AIM Solo with the GoPro yep. attached to it as well. Nice. So, or, or there's a mount that he made for my AK, you know, that I had this idea for. So these are all things. Again, it's all organic, and we're just trying to find um, – the right product that all of a sudden launches us to the next level, yeah. right? Because we're still, we're a baby. We're infants in the game, right? But I think we have a good foothold on the way we started, and I think we're heading in the right direction.
0: So I'm not going to pressure you to do this or anything, but I'm curious if you want to talk any numbers, if you want to talk about kind of the state of where you guys are at. I, I think it's curious as a case study, but I, I'm not going to push you into anything you're not.
1: You as, know, as far as uh, sales are concerned?
0: Sales or number of units or anything like that. Sure.
1: Yeah, no. Is this guy? Yeah, no. no. Yeah, no, it's fine. It it was funny. He and I were laughing because two weeks ago, all of a sudden, uh, two guys ordered uh, NA kit on a Thursday. A third one ordered one on a Friday. And then a uh, fourth gentleman ordered NC on a Saturday. All right, so we're sitting here scratching our heads, like, you know, where's this coming from? You know, and of course, yeah, we love it. We want to fulfill the orders right away. So we we worked diligently and we did. You know, we got everything out the door. Our our motto is, you know, under promise, over
2: deliver. over deliver. That's right. So.
1: I'm,
2: lear- I'm learning.
0: <laughs> no, that that that's really cool. I think it's going to be cool to to look back to because I I see you guys really going big with this. I mean, the uh, Corey, the co-host, of the podcast. He and I first assembled your kit when it came in, and I mean, we were not fluffing it for the for the video that we made. We were blown away it's like it's, it's, I, I feel like anymore you just kind of keep lowering your standards more and more because it's like okay we're a small market I get it I'll just live with whatever's on on the shelf right but there's so much passion in your products because you can just see it in the perfect fit in the like excellent machine the fact that the bolts are just like slightly under flush like it's just it's if I could just pour into it and i knew what i was doing it's what i would build right it's like it's what i envision and i just assume that that's that kind of thing is just not available or not accessible right like maybe that person is out working for some top tier motorsport team and building one-off bespoke parts but for that to just be available to go online and buy is huge and and i recognize um, if you're listening to this, <laughs> I hope you believe me because they are a sponsor of the podcast. <laughs> but
1: <laughs> I really, like, that's just how I feel you about it. You can pay it. us if you want. <laughs> a good guy deal. Yeah. yeah. No, and I think that adds, again, uh, credibility to Shahab's capabilities. Because of his motorsports background, he understands the functionality of the parts that we're making. Right? They need to have a function and a purpose. So, for example, all the, the lighting pockets that are machined out for weight reduction, you know, just the, the streamlined design, everything is, it, it's a work of art, but there's function behind it and there's a purpose behind it. And I think that's one of the main reasons why our product stands out from other, you know, battery brackets that are out there that are just like sheet metal, powder coated brackets, you know, that are zip tied yeah. together. That's, that's not us. Yeah. You know, if you want a top tier, high level quality part, you come to Valkyrie.
0: Yeah. No, I love that um, and, and so you're kind of hinting at it here, but what where is your vision for the future for valkyrie like what, uh, you talked about the three different divisions, and you don't have to get specific about exact products, but like product lines and maybe what kind of scale you're aiming for or what are you thinking
1: Kevin, that's a million dollar question right there yeah. right? <laughs> um, I think we all collectively, you know, the three of us really would like to obviously grow this business to where um, it becomes a full-time gig, right? Uh, where we can set up shop somewhere in Indy, you know, Frank can handle everything out of California remotely as we currently have. And when we get to that level, I think that's when we'll be satisfied. And from that point on, we can figure out, hey, what is the next step, right? Uh, but for, in order for that to happen, obviously we need to increase our sales by quite a bit, you know, and we need to diversify our product line. Uh, the battery brackets are not going to take us to the next level, and that's just the reality of it. Yeah. Right? It's, I think it's a great, um, it's a great benchmark for, for where we're at product-wise, but it, it, we're only scratching the surface of our capabilities, and I think we're going to show that when we start working on the Bronco. Uh, and again, admittedly, I think we are late entrance into the, the Bronco market. You know, obviously, from the moment Ford said, hey, go, people were already trying to figure out products to come and out.
0: And it was, yeah, I mean, now that it's all come out, there were so many conversations that happened behind closed doors way ahead of the release. Yes. I mean, I, I've talked to, to multiple companies that are like, yeah, we've been working with them two years before it came out. Sure. And so, it, it, it's tough, but but it's such a huge market. You know, that it's it's not going gonna...
1: to... I don't look at it as a disadvantage. I didn't mean to cut you off. I don't look at it from a disadvantage standpoint because here's the deal. There's let's say, a whole plethora of products that are out there, right? But we have Shahab, who's going to look at those and be like, mm, I can make that better. And that's the approach that we always take. I can make that better.
0: And the good news with the Bronco is, like, not only not only did some people pay six figures for these, but...
1: Yeah, I was not aware of that. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: I hope you weren't one not of those guys. Not sticker. Not, <laughs> definitely not. me. need to up our prices. Yeah. <laughs> but... It, it's one of those vehicles that's interesting enough that it's not, like, the price point does not dictate the, the audience that drives it, right? Um, what I think is really interesting is if you go up and down a super wealthy neighborhood, Yeah. will you see Aston Martins and Bentleys and Ferraris? Yes.
1: But you're also going to find a Bronco.
0: You're going to find a lot of F-150s. Raptors are, like, the top vehicle that people have. Because if you think about it, the Raptor's a perfect vehicle. It's as smooth as a Rolls Royce, but it can do truck things like tow your really nice expensive boat or at least sit higher than everyone and then you feel safer on the road. So look, people have got a hold of that and they're like, we don't care about the status symbol. What's the best thing for our solution? We have unlimited budget. Those people are buying Raptors. And the Bronco is kind of blending into that, especially with the Bronco Raptor. There's, there is high-end clientele with these Broncos, especially, and this blows my mind, but sometimes you go to a car show and you see, like, the 60s Broncos perfectly restored. You're like, wow, that's a pretty truck. I'd love to have one. Oh, you what can. you don't realize is half of those are half a million dollar plus. Yep, yeah, they are. Crazy expensive restorations. There's there's a following there with money. Um, that's not me. I, I paid sticker for mine. I just waited a really long time for it and put in, like, one of the first orders. Uh, but, yes, it it's it's an interesting market. And I know there's going to be people that are like, okay, there's a lot of stuff out here, but I only want the highest quality because I want this to be as nice as my $400,000 resto mod that I have. Like I want my new one to, to have that same kind of feel.
1: Of course. And maybe, you know, that's the niche that uh, we'll go after, right?
0: (laughs) That would be a great one. Yeah. I've talked about some, some things I, I might want to try to play with because in a, in a previous job, I actually got to learn learn on the job a little bit of composites, and so I have a little bit of uh, um, I have enough courage to try and fail, which is enough to maybe come up with something. So I've been trying to think of some things I could do myself. I don't think they'd turn into much, but I, you know, it's great to have you guys to kind of bounce ideas off of, and maybe it turns into a, a product that fits better for you guys. Who knows?
1: Well, we're gonna try. That's for sure. <laughs> yep.
0: Yeah. Um, so I want to hear your take since you have wide, uh, you know, backgrounds around motorsport and all different varieties. Where do you think motorsports is now? And you can take that however you want. And then where do you think we might see motorsports going in the coming years?
1: That's for you, Shahab. Um,
2: do you want to get into like electrification? Let's do it. Okay. Um, I, I see that kind of, you know, gas cars becoming more of like a, even more sort of like a niche and hobby than they are now when uh, everyone, you know, your daily driver might be an electric, but then your Miata is going to be like your muscle car, right? That you <laughs> take out on the weekends or something like that. Um, I think it's going to be a long time. Like, I, I love electric vehicles. I think they're... Definitely the future, Um, but I still think you're going to have lots of people that love their gas-powered cars and the noise and everything like that. I don't see that going away anytime soon.
1: No, I'm in agreement.
0: Yeah, I I think, uh, you know, all these politicians and everything are trying to set these benchmark deadlines. Mm -hmm. And people seem to be buying into it, and people think, well, it's just going to happen that amount of time. And it's like, go find one example of any major change like that that happens that quick. It's just not realistic. Product cycles are too long. You know, people do not... You, you think the average American can just be like, oh, well, the government said we should be an EV, so we're all going to buy new cars. Like, that's it's just not, gonna not realistic. It's not gonna it's yeah, it's going to take a long time. I, I don't know this deeply, but it, it sounds like there's some really damning problems that could completely block you know, the viability of this as far as like uh, the mining of, of some of the rare earth metals that are needed for batteries and, and just charging infrastructure and stuff like that, that I think are solvable problems on the long scale, but, you know, might even be enough to say it's impossible to do on the timelines that people are pitching. The
1: timelines are very ambitious. Yeah. We can agree on that, right? Yeah. So, um, but, you know, I see it over at even and Hines with the exhaust systems, for example, Right. Everything's got to be EPA-compliant, CARP-compliant. Um, everything's got to be cat-back, right? So the whole entire line of exhaust systems now, everything's got a catalyst. You know? And uh, it costs a lot of money. The parts cost more now. Price points have gone up. And, uh, of course, there's a power restriction there. So a lot of the consumers, <clears throat> I went to uh, MVP over in uh, Louisville, which is the um, parts unlimited. They have like a semi-annual, annual whatever uh, event where all the dealers come out and they talk about the product lines, so on and so forth, just educate everybody. And a lot of guys were really bent out of shape over the new exhaust lines. Like, Oh, my customers, they don't want this, you know, it's going to lose power, blah, 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 blah. So again, that adds to what you're saying. America's not ready to make the full transition to, um, you know, electric cars and things of that nature. So, but
0: I, I definitely rest easy knowing that like people still ride horseback. You know, and and we've started making cars the norm a hundred years ago. So it,
2: it's it's never gonna completely disappear. It could get we saw an Amish buggy we did. Crossing an overpass on the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. That should be the way of the future. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I'm I, but I have to
0: say, like die hard car guy, you know, I, I love my race car that I built. I, I love the sounds you get out of cars. But the Bronco interests me in a way where I kind of don't care what's under the hood. Like so many people are upset. It's like, whoa, turbo four cylinder. It should be a V8, V8 or nothing. And, and to me, it's like, I have so much fun in this thing. That's not the make or break. There are a lot of cars that that's the make and break for me, right? Some cars are just about the sound, Sure. but
1: the Bronco's not one of them.
0: No, if it were electric and it had the range I needed and it solved the problems, like I could recharge quickly and I could go off the grid and all that. I wouldn't complain.
1: I'd be excited. Well, I told you I went last week and over to G Man, <clears throat> and there were two bikes that were electric, and I, I felt like I was watching Tron live. <laughs> right, and I was like, uh, the guy he was laughing at me because I had to get uh, fuel, and he's mocking me. He's like, oh, look, he had to get gas. Like, All right, my man, thanks.
0: <laughs> so I I don't know anything about these electric bikes. Are they are are they practical? Are they fun? I I, I don't know.
1: My only experience with the uh, like that would be with a scooter, electric scooter, you know, and they are fun. <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> I know my wife wants a electric motorcycle. Which one? Zero, I think is the brand. She's like that. She doesn't want to have to shift or mess with a clutch lever. Ah, uh, interesting, yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, well, that's, I need some of the fun of exactly. having a motorcycle is shifting and, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah I, so one of the things that I had the same
0: thought about with the Bronco was the fact that if you start letting the clutch out, it does the gas for you, which is really weird. And I was like, oh, okay, well, nobody can drive stick anymore. That must be why they're doing it. But then I started going off road and I realized I can just clutch brake modulate in like four low crawl gear over a rock. And I don't have to worry about the gas. I can just very precisely control with two pedals. I'm like, that's kind of genius. And so Yeah, it was one of those things that was like, oh, maybe people just don't want the complexity. And then I realized, oh, they built a really good solution to a problem.
1: I miss manual cars.
0: I have never owned
1: an automatic. Yeah. Yeah, my first car was a Ford Escort GT, 1989. And the reason why I wanted... You know, a Mustang. Of course, my dad looked at me. He said, mm, "No, you're getting a four-cylinder. And that's <laughs> that." So the closest resembling vehicle at the time was a Ford Escort GT, and I loved that. I mean, it was a it was a turn, <laughs> but it was my turn. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah I, uh, uh, I I love manual transmission. I absolutely love it. But I, I'm open to the electric cars. I was really against it for a while, but. The one that has won my heart, and I would be very tempted, is the new VW ID Buzz, the return of the the bus, the old VW bus. Yeah. That thing is cool looking. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, it's <clears throat> so neat. And it's all electric. And that would be, I would absolutely buy that. No no hesitation, not even the slightest bit.
1: What's the price point?
0: I don't think that's been announced. Um, that All they have is some prototypes that look very production ready, but.
1: And they are going to be sold here in the States? Yeah,
0: that's my understanding. It'd be silly not to, like California is the epicenter of that car, sure. of the traditional one, right? Yeah. Who knows? Maybe one of these days they're like, everybody likes them in California, but we're only going to sell them to China. That could happen, but <laughs> not yet. <laughs> um, uh, okay, so I, I'm curious about supply chain and manufacturing and stuff like that. I know a lot of things get, you know, it's just it's so easy to go to China and, and have something manufactured, but I know you guys... Um, are a little closer in control. So can you talk a little bit about that, decisions you've made, and and some of the complexity there?
1: Yeah, that's a fantastic question. So we're very blessed that we live just outside of Indianapolis, right, motorsports capital of the world, so they say. Um, We live in an area where there are so many shops, and we have a very strong network of machine shops that are around us, right? Mm -hmm. Um, We did have a, a CNC mill at one point, um, but then now we've actually have shifted and are outsourcing to local shops that are literally right next to us. You know, so we design, engineer everything in house, but then we have a shop next door, for example, that'll make our parts for us. And we send it down to Anodize, which is right down the road from us. Great working relationship you know, with, um, with our Anodizer. And um, we don't have any hiccups. You know, supply chain has not been an issue. You know, well, we just ordered the material online, hand it over to the machine shop, or they already order it for us, and then go from there. So it works out.
0: That's amazing.
2: Yeah. yeah we're lucky it all pretty much happens in Brownsburg, Indiana. <laughs>
1: That's it.
0: I, I knew uh, I, you grew up in Florida, and, and you both spent some time living in Georgia. Um, how would you compare kind of like the culture there? Because uh, my experience, I grew up in Georgia, and I still live in Georgia. Uh, but I spent a little bit of time in Ohio. And there's a lot of really hard working people there, lots of industry, and it just it, and not not to mention if you're a car enthusiast, you can't use it year round so when winter months come in, you get to tinkering you know you 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 still want to like have an outlet for your hobby, so what I've witnessed is you kind of like dig in and work on your car Have you seen those kind of cultural things? Are there other ones that I'm not thinking of?
2: yeah, I mean, I've spent most of my life in Indiana. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was born outside of Atlanta but moved away when I was younger uh, but for me it's like from you know like October to March that's when you like rebuild your car and <laughs> do different mods and things like that and you're shopping online and just like planning everything out and then you you know through the summer and spring you go do track days and autocross things like that and break things and then you need to figure out what you need to fix for next year so i've i've kind of been involved with that kind of process
1: yeah and same goes for me i actually moved down to florida to go to college before i was up in new york before that i was over in atlanta and uh but i moved to indy to to work at vnh back in 2010 and uh same with my motorcycle you know for example it's been down for it was down for 4 months I was waiting on engine valves so titanium valves to come in from, from Argentina exhaust valves and that held up the process so I had my, my head cnc ported and valve job and all that good stuff all the valve train updated and um, the bike is finally out together got to put on a dyno and the great thing is is that uh, I have a sprinter so I've been able to travel and go south when it's cold you know so in january when everybody was freezing in indiana i was <laughs> down over at jennings you know, on my street bike, which was fantastic. Sn-
0: snowbird. Snowbird of the motorcycle racing world.
1: Yeah, but I'm I'm getting old. Older, I should say. And the winters are starting to really get to me. You know, like November, December, January is okay, but come February, March, you're just like, oh, man. You know, <laughs> enough's enough. Yeah. You, know, you can't take it. So I'd love to move back down south at some point.
0: Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, it's it's kind of all I'm familiar with. and
1: well, I mean, when I lived in Florida, I, I rode my motorcycle all year round. Sure. Right? I mean even December, January sweater is fine. Yeah. You can't pull that off in Indy.
0: Yeah. I believe that. <laughs> um, I, I think I was, is it in Indianapolis, uh, or somewhere in Indiana, I think for the, uh, Oh, what is it called? It's not SEMA. It's like a, a smaller one. PRI show. PRI.
1: Yes. Yeah. PRI is in December.
0: Yeah. I remember going up there and, I bought a jacket for that trip, and it didn't feel like it was enough. <laughs> that, was, that was true cold.
1: Yeah, no, we've, we had some cold winters. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah, but PRI is a fantastic show from an automotive standpoint. You know, it's fantastic. We would love to have, well, we actually considered parting up with somebody having a bracket over there, which, as a matter of fact, we even did, what, three years ago? Yeah, years ago? we did. Yeah, with uh, full spectrum. You know, uh, they had our battery mount on display. Nice. Yeah, yeah but now we, we uh, run nothing but anti-gravities. Okay. Yeah, so that's uh, the main battery that we use. Tell us about that.
2: Yeah, I mean, we switched over to anti-gravity. It's just uh, the kind of features that they offer and reliability. It's just uh, we want to sell, like, we're not in the battery business, right? And uh, we're in the bracket business, but that kind of makes us in the battery business. Yeah. And we didn't want to have any issues or have our customers have problems with you know we got this great bracket for you and then oh hey i have an issue with my battery and we can't really you know we feel like we need to take care of them because they're our customer right we don't feel like we can say well not our problem you know contact the battery person yeah so and we just kind of in order to avoid that we kind of kept decided to move forward with anti-gravity and the features that they have especially the uh restart functionality Um, one of the biggest issues with like lithium batteries is allowing them to drain down and uh, if you keep it connected to your car like modern electronics things like that they're going to drain it down and uh, the anti-gravity has a feature where it's got a low voltage cut off so once it senses that it's reaching a point that could be dangerous for the battery it'll disconnect itself internally and leave enough power so that when you go to, like, say, you leave your lights on, it'll shut itself off. And then when you go back to drive the car again, you go to turn it on, you're like, whoa, like, my battery's dead. You go to the battery, you hit the restart button on the top of it, and it'll connect itself again, and it leaves enough power for you to start the car, and then you can charge it with the alternator. That's brilliant. Yeah. That's, that's huge. Yeah,
0: that's really nice. And I, I like what you got out at there. It really, you know, it sounds like, your approach is you guys offer a solution, right? It's not like, yeah, you bought our bracket, you figure out the rest. Yeah. No, you, you, you're the one to solve a problem, so you kind of
1: have to own the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, from a business model standpoint, you, know, you need to be responsible for everything that comes out of your door. Yeah. Right? And, um, and we're so small that we couldn't afford to have a black eye. Mm-hmm. Right? So somebody all of a sudden with the, with the internet, all it takes is a few posts and you're done. Yeah. you know so we stand behind everything that we make and that we sell
0: what are some little things that that you guys have done that you think have been wins for you
2: um, i I think the uh, the communication we have with our customers is big uh, that could be just because we're small that we have the opportunity to do that but hopefully we continue that moving forward uh, Raphael's really good about packing up kits and you know, including kind of handwritten notes things like that just cuz you know whatever business we have we are very appreciative of it and uh, we want to sell things that we would want and then we also we're customers with you know I've got a BMW 2 series that I track and Rafael's got a motorcycle that he tracks like we're customers also and we basically want to treat our customers like we would want to be treated. Yeah. And it's as simple as that.
1: I mean, my pet peeve is that when I can't get a hold of a company, you know, or there's no phone number on their website or there's a chat feature. Yeah. And that's, that's not enough for me. A lot of times it requires more communication. And so we try to make ourselves obviously readily available. Somebody calls the line. I pick up the phone, um, if there's a delay on anything, we're sending out emails. Obviously, we send out emails confirming the order. We'll follow up and say, hey, our current lead time is XYZ. Uh if there's any any sort of delay, we'll give them a heads up. You know, we let them know when it's shipped out the door. So we try to be really at the forefront, letting them know, hey, rest assured, we're gonna take care of you. And and we love that. For us, it's a value added concept.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, and and you know, I haven't had the traditional customer experience because we've been working since we...
1: Hand over your credit card. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: but it, it's, uh, you know, so maybe I get a special treatment. But I, I tell you what, it's incredible communicating with you guys and and working with the products and, and just working side by side. And, and I think that's really huge. And everywhere I've worked, when I've talked to, you know, the founder of that company and It's those things that cemented their ability to scale the company large, right? It's the little things like I I worked for a company that got bought out recently. It was a big tech company, not, not huge, but it was a successful tech company. And it was like, what worked for them? They would get a customer complaint about some kind of bug or a feature request. And then they would have it like within an hour. They'd be like, email them they'll be like hey we fixed this and as we started to scale one of the things we did is every time um you know somebody had requested a feature when we released that feature we went back to all the emails recorded of people that asked for the feature and we emailed them and said hey thanks for asking for this now we have it here it is so i I think you know the more you can scale that kind of stuff like it it, once you get enough market share maybe it's not required But, man, it's so great for the customer experience.
1: I don't think we're going to change that mindset, honestly. I mean, let's just say that we grew into this massive company. I'm still going to make sure that whatever sales staff that we have are trained to operate the same manner that we do today as a small mom mom and pop shop. Because today's world, everything is so disconnected. And that just doesn't work for me. I'm an old school guy. Yeah. Right? I like, you know touch and feel pressing the flesh yeah and so i don't think we're going to change that mindset
2: yeah yeah i mean i think when you a lot of times like now you order something online it says in stock maybe it's not really in stock or you give your credit card information you get charged and then you're just sitting there waiting you know you might not you might get a confirmation email you might not it could be inaccurate information you never know then you reach out in a couple of weeks hey What's going on? You know, I've been waiting, don't hear anything. And that's the last thing we, we want to have happen. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: It's a real problem. And I, I think people are becoming more tolerant of it. But I, in my opinion, that's a positive because when you don't do that, you really stand out. Because the bar is lowering. And so you're, I think you're, you're more like, exceptional. Sure.
1: You know, I mean, well, we got an email the other day. The gentleman who purchased one of the NA kits complimented us in our communication. Wow. You know, he was surprised. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> you know, that's so.
0: huge. Cause that's the kind of stuff that doesn't get talked about. Right. right? You don't, you don't get thanked for that. Yeah. You know, it's usually just like, Oh, well people really get upset when you don't.
1: <laughs> Let me ask you a question, Kevin. <laughs> sure. You know, when was the last time you got a handwritten note from somebody, you know, <sighs> that you bought a product from?
0: Yeah. Like basically never,
1: never. Right. Yeah. No, we do that. <laughs> yeah.
0: I, and again, that's where I'm like, Oh, I don't know if that was just a special treatment. No,
1: that's really cool.
0: You're you're not special.
1: (laughs) 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 No, we uh, like Shahab said. We value each and every single order that we get. Yeah. You know, uh, we depend our our livelihoods. Let's say for the business to grow, depends on our consumer base, and you got to take care of them. And word of mouth is huge, right? The one guy who's happy say, "Hey, these guys have Valkyrie. They took care of me. You should look them up." Yeah. The next guy may not purchase anything, but at least the word gets out that hey, you know, these guys are legit.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Um, so I, I've got to. Uh, and since we all are car guys here, we've got a couple of questions that we always include. And I think this one's going to be fun. Corey usually asks it, but he's right. not here, so I'm going to ask on his behalf.
1: Two car guys, one bug guy. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: Well. Shahab. <laughs> no, no. We'll we'll modify it for you then. Right. Um, so Shahab, I'll start with you. Is there a car that got away? Is there like one that, that maybe you owned and you sold and you wish you still had it? Or is there something that you almost bought and you didn't get a chance to and you, you always regret it a little bit? Something like that. So
2: there is. Um, in 2008, I bought a brand new S2000 Laguna Blue. It AP2. And I had that for a year or so. And that's really the first car I started autocrossing. Oh, wow. And I got an autocross, and I saw everyone was autocrossing Miatas. And I was like, man, that looks like fun and a little bit more affordable than this S2000. Um, So I ended up selling that like a year and a half after I got it and bought a Miata. And it was shortly after that they stopped selling S2000s. And now those cars are like insanely expensive. And I don't know if I'll ever be able to get one again. So... (laughs) That's definitely one that uh, got away.
0: Uh, I'll, I'll let you answer however you'd like if you've got a car in mind, but I, I'm thinking it might be a bike.
1: Uh,
0: car. Okay.
1: Air-cooled 911. Oh. It's down. You know, um, so my my father worked for uh, airline industry for Lufthansa German Airlines. And when we used to travel um, over to Europe as a as a kid, he used to give you a die-cast Porsche 911 air-cooled. And so from very very young age I was like that's the car I need to have I can never afford one these days and had I known that I would have bought one back you know in the 90s yeah. <laughs> before they really became popular again so that's that's my dream car
0: it, it's that they're so incredible and I, what I've always wondered I've been battling with this idea for a long time is like I think Miatas are nearly perfect cars and I wonder if the same kind of fanfare that surrounds Porsche could surround the Miata. Because I, I think it's maybe even more significant the impact the Miata has had on motorsport and a lot of car enthusiasts. But because it's so attainable and so cheap, it doesn't really have that allure. You can still get them very easily. So you don't see the the beautiful imagery that people create. You don't see all the, like, the fanfare around it. I mean, to, there's definitely... Miata fans, and I go to all that stuff. I go to Miata's of the Gap. I go to, you know, as many of those kinds of things as I can. But I've always wondered if there's room for...
1: I, I think so, because we have a, a good client of ours, John, with his uh, Nissan 240. Mm-hmm. Yep. Same thing. Back in 96, 98, he bought this thing for like 800, 900 bucks. And now today, with all the stuff that he's done to it, he can get, you know, north of six figures for it. Mm. Right, which is crazy, yeah. gorgeous vehicle. Yeah. So, uh, Shahab, if you'd be so kind, tell the audience about the shifter that uh, you made for it.
2: So, uh, well, do you want to mention how we met, John? Oh no,
1: yeah. So I was Why riding my start motorcycle. There, yeah, it's start a there. pretty interesting story. <laughs> so I was riding my motorcycle through Brown County with a buddy of mine, Carlos, and uh, there's this overlook, gorgeous, gorgeous scenic overlook, and uh, the new uh, 300.
2: I think it's just new Nissan Z.
1: Nissan Z was sitting there. I didn't know what I was looking at, but Carlos did. He's like, oh, my gosh, You know, let's go talk to that guy. I'm like, sure. So we started talking. I'm like, you know what, John? I think we can come up with a battery kit for this car. <laughs> and he's like, all right, well, sure. So I gave him my information. Then uh, he looked us up, you know, because he was hesitant at first. He's like, who is this guy approaching me, right? But then literally 24 hours later, he called me. Hey, you guys are real. Can we do something? I'm like, yes, yes, we can. (laughs) So that's how we met John.
2: Yeah, and he had like one of the first Zs in the country. Yes. You know, let alone in Indiana. Definitely the first in Indiana. And, uh, yeah, Raphael sends me a photo of this brand-new Nissan Z. And I thought it was somewhere in California. So it was like this nice scenic overlook, and I was like, "Oh, cool! Someone got one in California." And he's like, "No, I saw this guy in <laughs> in Brown County, in Southern Indiana." I was like, "What?" <laughs> but yeah, so we made a battery kit for him, and then uh,
1: which you like, can check out on our site, by the way. There's yep. also install video and a promo video. It came out pretty rad. Nice. Yeah.
2: What, what's your website?
1: Uh, ValkyrieEngineering.com. Yep. Yep.
2: And uh or on YouTube, yeah. Or on YouTube. Like nice yes. YouTube. You just, video. just shout him out. Yeah. Yeah. Instagram, Facebook, Valkyrie or Engineering.
1: At, yeah, at Valkyrie Engineering. Yes. That's right.
2: Perfect. And uh so we did the battery kit for him and he's uh he's like, Hey, I got this two forty Z that I'm working on and uh he ended up putting so it was an early model two forty Z that came with a four speed transmission and he ended up putting a five speed in. And he's got like Everything on this car is, like, perfect. Perfect engine, like, all brand new, like, perfect interior, yeah. interior, like, all reupholstered. He goes to put the center console in and realizes that the shifter doesn't line up with the hole in the center console. This freshly, like, hand-stitched center console isn't going to work with this shifter. And so it turns out that the 5-speed is, like, shorter than the 4-speed, and there's nothing out there. That's like a bolt-in shifter solution. He see he does some searching on the internet and there's people that are kind of cutting and hacking up these shifters and bending them and trying to re weld them and yeah. just like clobber together things, kinda of like my original N.A. auto battery bracket back. In the day. <laughs> and so he's like, Yeah, can you guys do something for this? And I'm like, Yeah, we can do something for that. So I designed a a new shifter that will made up to the transmission and then it has the right offset angle and everything to end up right where the stock shifter would be. So it's like totally seamless integration and it fits perfectly
1: with his, you know, beautiful center console and yeah, three shift knob and everything Yeah, like it's that. a three piece part. Uh, the bottom portion is nickel plated and then uh, the shift shaft itself is chrome plated. So it looks OEM, it looks stock, right? So then he has a his wood knob on there. It's, it's very, wow. it's a sexy piece, That's a very awesome. sexy piece. Yeah. yeah,
0: I remember seeing when you guys posted it up, it was really neat.
1: Yeah, and that's, you know, not only do we make general products, but if you have an interest in any one-offs, we're available. Yeah. Right? That's one of our strengths, I would say. Yeah, sure. for sure. Yeah,
2: we, can, we can pretty
1: much design or do anything.
2: You know, you know what's really interesting
0: to me is if, uh, I don't know how closely you guys have followed, like, the Honda scene, like the 90s Hondas, the, those those cars... Use a lot of billet parts, and it's really popular there. You you see like um, like the, there's these frame um, strengtheners in the rear that you can see when you just drive behind a car, and they're these beautiful pieces, usually in some crazy powder coated like red, you know. So you see this whole piece that goes all the way across. Um, but what's interesting is there's there's some good quality companies that have sprung up around this, that I think. The way people have come on to Hondas and gotten excited about them have kind of demanded this, you know, created this demand for these kinds of products. And then the company I can think of right now is Acuity. I don't know if you've seen any other stuff. It looks really high quality. They have these shifter assemblies, but I mean, they look crazy because, you know, Hondas are all, for the most part, except your S2000. (laughs) For the rest of them, they're all like cable shifted. And so they have these. I mean, they look like a, they look like a spiker or something. You know, all this crazy mechanics going on to create a short shift or whatever. Um, So it's interesting to see that the Honda market has really embraced that kind of manufacturing, and they want those kinds of parts. And I don't see that in most others. You know, short of super low production, high end resto mods and stuff, I don't really see it take on as like a oh you can buy a cheap thing or you can buy a really nice billet piece. Um, but in the Honda world, there seems to be that. So maybe, maybe that needs to come into the Mazda world in the same way or something.
1: Well, let's hope. Yeah. All right. <laughs> that was the idea. But then speaking of shifters, what you did with, for the BMW, for Andy Debrino, you know, for his, uh, drift car. That's also pretty radical as well.
2: Oh yeah. For the, uh, yeah. Hydro, e brake lever. Uh, that's a guy that we actually know from like the motorcycle world. And, uh, we kind of sponsored him with a battery kit for his drift uh, E36 BMW, and he and we're like, you know, obviously like kind of same with you. We're like, you know, anything else we can help you with, other than <laughs> just a battery mount. You know, we can do a lot. And he's like, well, I got this e-brake lever, and he sends a photo of this thing that's like hodgepodge of thi- th- like thin aluminum sheet metal, kind of bent and like welded and like a really cheesy way no offense to whoever will do that so but he's like yeah it keeps breaking and bending and I'm like looking at it and I'm like oh boy like you need some help <laughs> so I had him send the uh, e-brake lever that he had and we took some measurements and I designed like a one piece billet aluminum e-brake lever for him that matched what he had kind of hand formed and bent so it was like the right offset, everything that he wanted. And then uh, we had that machine, so he's not going to have any issues with that bending or breaking. Yeah, it.
1: You can see it on our web- or on the, our Instagram page. Yeah, that's, that's a, really it's cool. It's a trick part. That's really neat.
0: Um, cool. So I always like to round out with one final question, and i like to open this up to interpretation. Now, this is, I think, the first time that we've had two guests on. So I'll let whoever wants to start first. Uh, But the question is, it doesn't have to be specific to motorsports or even necessarily business, but if somebody wants to get into something new to them, what one piece of advice would you give them?
1: Kevin, that's a fantastic question. I think that society as a whole has gotten so used to instant gratification that nobody realizes that if you want something to really work, you have to keep at it. It's not going to happen overnight. We've been doing this for how long now? Since 2019? Yep. We haven't taken a penny yet. Huh? And we're still doing it because we believe in ourselves. And that's what I have to tell somebody. It's, it's not going to happen overnight. Keep at it. Keep at it and keep at it some more and if you fail wake up the next day do it again try something different but keep moving forward that's it because otherwise there's no progress that's huge uh,
2: I wouldn't I'm not gonna go as deep as that <laughs> that's okay I would say if you're trying something new the internet is your friend um, things like YouTube, you know, everything that's available today. Like I think we're so lucky that we live in a time where all this information is like literally in your pocket on your phone or anything. And something new that I've just, you know, recently taken on is learning CNC machining. And that's something that I've always kind of wanted to learn and never really had an opportunity. Um, I'm lucky now that I've, in my day job I was able to get paid to learn but there's a, a series or I guess a website called Titans of CNC and you can go and watch their videos on YouTube or on their website and it's like crazy the amount of like knowledge and everything like that you can gain from watching YouTube videos of machining and programming and everything like that um, I'd say anything new you want to learn just do your research because chances are someone's made some sort of YouTube video or helpful website about it.
0: I love how practical that is. I, I think you're exactly right. I, I've been like I said, I've been tempted to do some composite stuff. And I found a YouTube channel called Easy Composites.
2: Yeah, I've seen it. Oh it's great.
0: <laughs> There's just tons of it's like how is this free? This yeah. is great. Yeah. No, that's that's awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. Um, you know, let let's keep the uh let's Get a real quick live selfie, all of us. Awesome, <laughs> something to post up. Um, I, I appreciate you got your your time. I appreciate you both come down and meet me here. We're gonna we're gonna start scanning some more stuff on the Bronco, but uh, let's leave with any kind of um, shout out that you'd like. Any th- any social medias, um, definitely spell out Valkyrie for us for anybody listening. And uh, and yeah, I'll leave this to you.
1: All right, Valkyrie, (laughs) V-A-L-K-Y-R-I-E, engineering. Find us online at valkyrieengineering.com. We want to give a shout out to Anti-Gravity, all of our um, partners that we deal with, you know, the machine shops that are local to Brownsburg, anodizers, powder coaters, you name it, but uh, most importantly also, Frank Nelson, our third leg that couldn't join us today.
2: We love you, Frank. <laughs> Perfect. Thanks
0: so much. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks. for having
1: us.